Well, welcome Jubilee family and all of you who are joining us online. I just want you to know that you have a home at Jubilee Church. Whoever you are, wherever you are, uh, you have a home with us. We are a church that wants to help all people know God, find family, discover their purpose, and then being able to make an impact in the life of others. And we just believe so much that we are a pivotal point in history. And it could be a pivotal point in your history if you take that next step. And we want to help you take that next step. So whether that's growth track or just letting someone know that you're here receiving prayer, we hope that you would do that today. And today, again, I just want to encourage us from those verses that Mindy read for us. And these five verses are particularly encouraging because Peter, he's writing to a group of people who had suffered tremendously who were in the process of of suffering. And as they looked into their future, they saw more suffering. So this text is is tried and true. It's tested for encouraging people in the midst of suffering. So it won't fail you. On the contrary, I think it can transform you if you're willing to absorb these truths. And the point of all this is that Jesus is our safe place. So what I want to do is I just, I'm going to go through these verses and there are five reasons why Jesus is our safe place and, the, and why he is the one that we can run to to get encouragement, particularly when we're going through trials, difficulty, challenges, and suffering. And, and the first point I want to make is that Jesus relates. Jesus relates. That, that text in First Peter says this. It says that Christ also suffered. Like, he, he also went through this. He, I just want you to know that he also suffered. When, so when we're going through something, we want to know that people relate to us. Deep within the human psyche is this desire to relate, this desire to be understood. If someone understands what we're going through, that's the person we want to be around most. In the Maori household, uh, there's been some quarantine baking, and, and the kids and I are loving it. Uh, my wife is like, enough is enough. And so uh, about a week ago, she goes on a diet, which means that in some way we all go on a diet. And I found that out, I think it was last Tuesday, because uh, we all love broccoli, oddly enough. And, and I found out why we all love broccoli. It's because when she makes it, she typically puts, you know, like a bunch of oil or something on it to make it taste, you know, not like broccoli. Because if it doesn't have oil or ranch or cheese on it, it's, it's basically a weed. Well, last Tuesday, we all had weeds for dinner because of my wife's desire for us to relate to where she, she didn't want to do it on her own. She wanted solidarity. When you are on a diet, you don't want to be in quarantine with people who aren't. If you've lost a job, you don't want to be around the person who just got a bonus. When you are suffering, you want to be around people who have suffered. Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus isn't someone who escapes suffering, but he suffered with us. In fact, uh, he doesn't just understand our suffering. It says in Hebrews 4 that he sympathized with us. That's why he's our great high priest. That's why we can run to him in our time of challenge, in our time of suffering, because he understands. Now check this out. He didn't have to, right? He did this all voluntarily. And his desire to relate to you was stronger than his desire to escape suffering. So whatever suffering you're going through right now, the people around you may not get it, but I want you to know that Jesus gets it. He relates. He is our safe place. We could run to him for times of encouragement when we are suffering. 
But that's not all. He doesn't just relate. He also forgives. On the cross, Jesus experienced hell so, so that our sin can be forgiven. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was stripped naked and he was crucified. He was tortured. He was abandoned. He was humiliated for our guilt and for our shame. And I just want you to notice a few things about the death of Jesus that Peter points out. Number one, it was an exchange. It says in this text, it was for sins, but it was for the the righteous, for the unrighteous. It was an exchange. It was... um, just for the unjust. Our text sin says that it, it says that he died for sin, but it wasn't his sin. It was our sin. It, his crucifixion was meant to be our crucifixion. Pe- people mocked him on the cross and they said things like this. He could save others. Why can't he save himself? And they just missed a point completely. Um, because he wanted to save others, he did not save Himself. It was in exchange, righteous for the unrighteous. When you suffer, when you suffer, be encouraged that he took your place. Your safe place is the one who took your place. And this is something he did once and for all. That is, his death was final and all sufficient. Nothing need to be added. It doesn't have to... Um, you know, we don't have to like, okay, he, he took care of our past and now we just have to live a good life. No, he, it was a once and for all sacrifice. That's why there is now no condemnation for those are, who are in Christ, that we can have confidence that we are completely forgiven and stand righteously before him because of what Jesus did for us. You know, some of us grew up and we, we, we believed that and we thought and maybe we were even taught that, you know, hey, if we miss a service or if we miss communion, we, we fall out of grace. You know, we've, we've heard that phrase like, you know, God's going to be upset with you. You've fallen out of grace. There's only one way that you could fall out of grace. And that is if you run to anything except Jesus. If you trust in anything for God's approval other than Jesus. Paul says this to the Galatians. He says, the way that we fall from grace is when we're trying to be justified by the law. In other words, when we try to uh, prop ourselves up with anything else except what Jesus has done, that's how we fall away from grace. Your life may be a total wreck and you may not know if Moses is in the Old Testament or the New Testament, but if you admit that you have sinned, that you have failed to trust Jesus, I want you to know that you haven't fallen from grace. You have fallen in grace. To grace. God is near to the brokenhearted and he gives grace to the humble. Because it was a once and for all sacrifice, we can run to Jesus, our safe place. And, that, and this was all to bring us back to God. Uh, John Calvin, this great theologian uh, from yesteryear, he's an old guy, uh, not around anymore, but he, he said this about this text. He said that God wanted his kids back. The cross is God wanting his kids back. We were lost kids and God spared nothing to get us back. And, and as a parent, I can relate to this. I remember you know, when my kids were little, Simon, I think was like two years old. I took him with me to Forest Park to go hit some golf balls. And on the ride there, he fell asleep. So like any good parent, I went, you know, I just left him in the car and went and hit golf balls. Uh, but I went and checked on him. And one of those times I went and checked on him, he wasn't in his car seat. And, and I absolutely... Uh, panicked. In fact, I began to think about like, what am I going to tell Rachel? Like, this is, this is crazy. He's walked off. He's done something. And so I'm looking all over the place. I'm running around, like walking up and down the, 
the parking lot. And then finally, as I'm going around the, the front of the car, he, I didn't see this before, but he was hiding uh, like underneath uh, the, the steering wheel in my front seat. And when, he, when my eye caught his eye, he looked at me with this devilish grin, like he finally got caught. And man, I, I, w- I didn't know to be angry or happy, but joy overcome whatever anger I had. And I picked him up and I held him. And I just like, man, the, the, the joy and the thrill of being re- reunited with the lost son was just overwhelming. And that's the way God feels about you. That's the way God feels about us. He wants his kids back. So know that, that God is your safe place, that Jesus is your safe place because he forgives. And then thirdly, we can take encouragement from this text because Jesus warns. He warns because he is patient and kind. He is our safe place because he is patient and kind. This is a little strange, but this is what the text says. It says that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, that is like in hell, because they were, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So here's what's going on. This is what this means. And I'll take the shortcut here because this is a little obscure. What was being said here is that through Noah, jo, uh, Jesus was warning people. And not many heeded the warning. In fact, a minority only heeded the warning. But through Noah and through the ark and the judgment coming, warning came to the people. And, it, and the warning lasted for about a hundred years from the time that God spoke to Noah to the time that the ark was completed was about a hundred years. You know, and sometimes we're in our suffering and, you know, especially as Christians, we're like, man, why doesn't God end all this? This is why he doesn't end all this because he's patient and kind and he wants to warn people. This is what Second Peter Second, um, Peter's second letter says, he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. So he's not just taking his time, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. We could take joy and comfort and encouragement that Jesus warns. In God's kindness, he's warns. For those who are watching this and you're just not sure, he is warning you right now. This is the mystery that God, Jesus makes his appeal through us and he is warning you and it's his kindness that he does not want anyone to perish but do we heed his warning in Noah's day only a minority heeded the warning and today only a minority heed the warning you know we can't be bothered by it you know we rationalize it away but there will be a day the bible says where judgment will come like a thief and the night. There are a day when the rains of judgment will come and the doors will close and it'll be too late. Oh, what do I do, Brian? Well, in Noah's day, if you got in the boat, you were safe. The rain, the flood uh, did not care if you're a good person. It didn't care who you are or what your background was. The flood came to destroy. And so the people who got in the ark were safe. And today it's people who get into a relationship with Jesus who are safe. It reminds me of the story. There's these duck hunters in, in 2009 <clears throat> who were, um, they were in this wide open field in, in Georgia. And when they, as they were walking through this wide open field, they saw some smoke and they didn't think much of it at the time. But a, as they moved on, they didn't just see the smoke. They actually began to hear the fire crackling. And they realized actually this fire's moving pretty quickly and it was moving so quickly that there was no way that they're going to be able to outrun it. Well, 
one of the hunters just freaked out. The other hunter, though, uh, was calm, cool, and collected. And he did something kind of counterintuitive. And what he did, he reached into his pocket. He, he grabbed out some matches and he lit the ground around them on fire. And, and soon enough, the, the two hunters were standing in a blackened circle of earth as they waited for the fire to come. But they didn't have to wait long. And when the fire came, it, it, came, it, didn't, it didn't touch them. It actually went all around them and, and, and over them. But they were not even touched because they were standing in an already burnt over place. So when the fire came where they were standing, the fire had already been satisfied in the already burnt over place. So they did not have to experience the consequences of the fire as it came. Did you know that Jesus on the cross is that already burnt over place for the judgment of sin? And I just want you to know that that I was praying yesterday that you would be scrolling through your phone right now because this isn't a game. Judgment is coming. No one knows the day or the hour. It's like a thief in the night. It's like this virus. It's just gonna pop up one day and no one's gonna know. It's gonna come unannounced. And the people who will be safe are not the good people. They're not the moral people. It's the people by faith who stand in that already burnt over place. Step one, heed the warning. Step two, be encouraged by the one who warns, who is patient, who is kind, that that desires that none perish and pave the way for that already burnt over place for you to stand in. Fourthly, Jesus marks us with baptism. This is is interesting. Floodwaters and Noah's day apparently reminded Peter of baptism. And Peter used the meaning of baptism as a way to encourage those who were suffering. And here's why. In verse 18, Peter says that Christ died for sins and brought us back to God. Now the question is, who is us? Well, verse 21 answers that question when it says that it's the us is those who are baptized. Now Peter (laughs) Peter understands that this could cause a lot of confusion and he quickly qualifies what he says. And he says, look, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal for God for a good conscience. So what he's saying, he's not saying that baptism saves you, but here's what baptism is. It's really important and significant and it's gonna help you. It's gonna encourage you when you're suffering, when you understand the meaning, because the meaning of baptism is what he says here. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Baptism is an outward expression of a spiritual inward reality of something that's happened inside of you. It's a way that baptism is something that God has given us to to demonstrate of what he's done inside of us so that we we could know it and, and we can by faith declare it. You see, on the cross, Jesus was identifying with us He was identifying with us as a sinner. In baptism, we are identifying with Jesus. That is, his death is my death. That his burial is my burial. And his resurrection is my resurrection. So in baptism, we dramatize this. That we are declaring that my old life is dead. And what do you do with the corpse? Well, you bury it. So we push it underwater. And then we bring We come back up out out of the water signifying our resurrection. And Peter's like, baptism is a way that you can be encouraged. Jesus is your safe place because he baptizes you. He marks you. 
So, so one, if you're not baptized, be baptized. Maybe today for the first time you're like, man, I want to stand in that already burnt over place. And I want you to say step number two is be baptized. It will encourage you. It will encourage you in difficult times because we make this appeal to God and God hears our appeal. It says in Romans 10, 13, that anyone calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Baptism is that appeal. It's an appeal to him saying, God, I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. Your death is my death. Your resurrection is my resurrection. Finally, the last reason we can be encouraged, particularly in suffering, is because Jesus reigns. It says in that very last verse, about Jesus, he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having being subjected to him. There is nothing that can come against you if you are in Christ. Nothing, not even death. We just pass from death into life. Death is just a doorway to a better life, a, a one that doesn't have suffering and pain. And there's nothing, there's no demon or devil um, that could come against us. In fact, later in in Peter's letter, um, and this is maybe a famous passage. You may not know it was Peter, but it's a famous passage. It says that he walks around like a, a lion that is the devil, seeking who may devour. But we could stand in faith, and the faith that he's talking about is believing and trusting that nothing can come against you. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil cannot touch you. He is a cat on a leash. God has ultimate authority. He is reigning in heaven and there's nothing that can come against you. That if anything that comes your way that seems negative, it's only there to help you. It's only there to help you. Even suffering itself. You know, Christians aren't those who escape suffering, but we have something and it's Jesus. We have something that, that suffering actually makes us better. And so know that Jesus reigns. He's on the throne. He's in control. He loves you and nothing is going to harm you. So those who have been baptized in the name of Jesus, run to your, stand, to your safe place. Run to your safe place. Stand firm with great faith. It is a faith that won't just allow you to survive these trials. It will allow you to thrive in the midst of them. For those who are not sure, right now, this is what you need. You need to text that number. That number right there. Text pray to that number. Let someone pray with you. Take that next step. This is urgent. This is real. God has come to save you. God has come to protect you. He is your safe place. He's the only safe place. And he, he loves you so much that he was willing to die for you to make that happen. Now, before we conclude uh, this morning, I just want to encourage us to once again open up our hearts. I want you to think about Jesus, our safe place, and what he's done in all these five different ways. You know, that he relates, um, that he forgives, that he warns, that he marks us with baptism, and that he reigns on high. We're going to go into a time of worship to allow these truths to soak deep into our hearts.